Katie Freeman and I am your host. Every week I bring you interviews of female and non-binary makers of all kinds, some of them parents, some of them not. On today's Wonder Women series episode, I have an interview with Boa of OI Studios. Boa is a furniture designer, um, a world traveler, and just super knowledgeable, and I love uh, all the knowledge that she shared with me, and I know you will love it as well. Before hopping into the interview with Boa, though, I want to give a big shout out and thank you to the patrons over on Patreon. So thank you so much, Christy Twisted Twine, Christina B., Jeremy Spies, Sammy Go Sammy Lee, Lauren Rasp File Designs, Sven Dwarf Size Workshop, Rachel Moody Makes, Bonnie Tool Mom Bonnie, ToolMomStore.com, Laura Oakley Soap Company, Mary Lou Made by Mary Lou, Amy Bison Valley Carving, Dan and Kelly Reclaim Living Store, Brandy Studio Obey, Kathy One Girl and Her Tools, Ellen Little Bear Furniture, and Ethan Ethan Carter Designs. Thank you all so very much for your continued and ongoing support of the podcast helping me to produce two episodes a week every week every month and with no further ado here is boa you're good um we can hop right in then since you've got a time limit cap i always have my guests introduce themselves so i'm gonna let you tell us who you are who i am yes well my name is Boa, one name only. I don't use a last name. I'm a furniture designer, product designer of green um, furnishings. I'm based in New Orleans. I'm originally from St. John, U.S. Virgin Islands. Awesome. Well, that is a superb lead-in then to my next question, <laughs> which is uh, where'd you grow up and what kind of things were you interested in as a kid? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I just got back from St. John a week ago. And, you know, I always, every time I come back to the States, it's just so jarring how amazing and special it is there. And when I come back here, how depressing it is in the States. So I had a pretty interesting um, background. I grew up on the island St. John that I'm from. It's two thirds national park. So it's mostly a nature preserve and was never really fully like overdeveloped. Now it's changed quite a bit, but it's still two thirds national park. Um, I grew up above a beach. So I've always had a reverence for nature, always lived in harmony with nature. So it's no um, real big uh, change or stretch for me to be a designer who focuses on sustainability. Um, When I was a kid, I um, was obsessed with tennis. So I was a tennis player from the time I was 11 till maybe a few years ago when I injured my shoulder. Um, I've been drawing and sketching as far as I think, I think as far back as I can remember, like four years old. Um, So, um, so fine art and, and I used to play saxophone in a jazz band. Go figure. Well, there you go. (laughs) Well, you're, you're just capturing all the elements of art there, right? (laughs) Yeah. All Uh, the different, uh, yeah. um, All right. So, what brought you to New Orleans? It's a very circuitous route. I have been, I've lived in um, probably six states and three countries. This is my latest jaunt. I came here from New York um, almost six years ago. And I just wanted a change. And I would, didn't just want to change. I wanted, I came towards New Orleans because it called my spirit here. It's a very um, nurturing spiritual place with a deep history. Um, The culture is multi-layered. It's very similar to Caribbean culture. 
Um, also the opportunity to be able to spread out and buy a bigger house, you know, in New York, I couldn't really do that. Couldn't afford mm-hmm. to. Um, and just, you know, just to kind of like live a life that was more in tune with the way I want to live where, um, you know, your neighbors, you know, people are warm and friendly because that's the way they are not because they want something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of reasons why I chose New Orleans. Okay. How long have you been a furniture designer? Well, I've had periods where I've been off and on, off and on, depending on the finances. But I first started in 2003. All right. Were you in New York at the time? I was in San Francisco. Okay. So Mm -hmm. did you go San Francisco to New York? Expensive to expensive? No, I went (laughs) San Francisco to Bali, Indonesia. Wow. And then back to um, San Francisco for a short while and then to New York. Yeah, I've designed my first collection and manufactured my first collection. Well, I designed my first pieces in San Francisco, but I, did, I made a full collection in Bali. I sold my house in Oakland and moved to Bali and started um, working on a collection there. Mm-hmm. Did, I mean, did you move to be closer to be able to manufacture it there? Um, I didn't move with that intention. I moved, I went there thinking, oh, I'll just spend a couple months and I'll do whatever, work on my designs, enjoy Bali, just live that life. When I got there, um, I fell in love with the place and I also had the money from selling my house. So I became an importer. (laughs) Their, their skills, they're the best craftsmen in the world in terms of carving, there's a village dedicated to every different type of artisan craft you can imagine. And so I combined um, the importing with um, designing and manufacturing my first collection. So it was kind of like a happy accident. Okay. So, I mean, are you a degreed, I, I skipped the step of where, you know, what'd you do for college, go to university? Are you a degreed designer for, or artist? No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Um, when I went to art school, I went to the School of Art Institute of Chicago. Mm-hmm. There was no industrial design program. There was no such thing. Okay. Um, I didn't even know that it was a thing, that you could study that. Um, I studied what they call at the time visual communications, which is graphics. So I'm a self-taught furniture designer. I got into it. Um, such a way I can't even explain I was <laughs> I mean, because people are like, well, how in the world did you teach yourself something like this? I mean. First thing I want to explain is that if you're an artist, if you're a creative person, as you were saying before, your creativity doesn't, isn't just limited to one um, media. Mm-hmm. It's a side of the brain that translates in a weird way, you know, where you see some people who are um, uh, musicians who can do interior design. If you're creative, you're creative. But I got into it because, believe it or not, this is really random, but I was a fashion model. I was actually a runway model and I had an injury and I wasn't able to injure my back. I wasn't able to do that anymore. And I thought about, I had like a, like a, like a crisis in my mid twenties. And I was like, what do I, what do, I do in my life? And I was like, okay, well, you know, I love interiors. I love design. And so I thought, let me learn this industry. So I started as a retail salesperson in a furniture company. That's where I started. And moved, worked my way up to management. And then a few years later, I got the opportunity to become a buyer for a company that was opening up in um, Oakland, California, and um, was going to be doing all modern. And mm-hmm. so as the buyer, and they were, they were building out this space, they loved my ideas for the kinds of products that I was um, introducing and the fact that I was also um, studying feng shui. And they're like, we love what you're all about. Will you design the case goods for the space? I was like, wait, what? You want me to design? So I was so stressed out. I started doing all this research and I just started sketching it out and working with um, their builder. And that's how I started designing. I designed the case goods and not just the shelving for the store, all the display units, like modular display units on casters and, and, and design the space according to feng shui principles. And so people were like, wow, we love the feel of the space. We love the way this looks. We like these pieces. Um, the company went uh, bankrupt because there was a dot-com bust mm. in the Bay Area in 2001, I believe. 
And so all kinds of businesses, all kinds of people were leaving the Bay Area. So my company closed down and a few people who were clients asked me to design pieces for them. That's mm-hmm. kind of how I got started. And okay. I've been, it's been a, you know, a learning experience. Every single time I make a piece, a new piece, I'm learning something new. Um, especially since I don't build my own work. I work with what I call manufacturing partners. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because to be able to produce work at the level that I um, put out in the market, you really need sophisticated equipment, you know? And with that comes you know, huge overhead, huge financial investment and insurance and mm-hmm. skilled labor and OSHA and all that <laughs> stuff that all I stuff, don't yeah. have the stomach for. So I've, all, um, I've pretty much since the beginning, when I first made some pieces, I, I was in Bali, I made some things, I actually made them, but because um, I got to be friends with this guy in his shop and he let me use some equipment. But after a table saw accident, I was done. Yeah, I'm like, no. Yeah, let somebody else make my work and make it make it how it's supposed to. I, I won't sell anything that I make to anyone. It's gotcha. not. It's just not. It's not good enough. Yeah. So that's how I got into it. Yeah. So I mean, like you, when I went to when I was in college, I did not know there was anything such as industrial design or product design never even heard of that I so wish I would have at the time to take advantage of four years of schooling today's sponsor is rasp and file designs rasp and file was created to give new life to old things and create spaces that feel timeless unique and warm your home and business should be your sanctuary a place of solace and your personal piece of art the owner and woodworker behind Rasp and File Designs is Lauren Matthews. And you can follow along and find out more information on Instagram. Just look up Rasp Filed Designs or on the internet at rfdesigns.squarespace.com. But, um, <clears throat> When you're getting into designing your pieces, I mean, you've, you've been all over the world. So where are you draw, you know, drawing your inspiration for your, your work from? That's precisely the answer from all over the world. Um, I would say my, my primary inspiration is from nature and it's hard to see the straight line to that when, from that to my work, because it's so minimalist, so contemporary, but people don't realize that we get all these shapes, every shape from a straight line to a curve from nature. Mm-hmm. And growing up above a beach, I would spend, my sister reminded me actually last week when I was in St. John, how many hours I would spend on our porch painting the same horizon over and over again. This horizontal plane, I would just be fascinated with it. I would sketch it, I would do it in charcoal, I would paint it, you know whatever. So mm-hmm. I would say nature, I would say travel as an inspiration. Um, and just random things that I see, like sometimes I'll be just looking on Instagram and I'll see a wheel mm-hmm. and the way they, you know, figured out a way to install this wheel and I'll go, Oh, I could use that curve in my work in a different way. Mm-hmm. So from, from all over. Use, I mean, do you just, have volumes of sketchbooks here are you constantly designing no I am what they call a lazy designer (laughs) I'm not super I'm not super prolific I'm not and you know the reason there's a couple reasons for that I think that designing in a vacuum which is sitting down and working up a collection um, with no client in mind you do not do your best work. It's in my personal opinion, you don't because you don't know who you're designing for. You basically, some people say they design for themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's true that there are some pieces that I've designed that I'm like, yeah, I don't care if it ever sells. Um, it's something that I love. Like, you know, my meditation table, you know, that's my own meditation table and my own meditation cushions. Those are things that I did specifically for me to support my meditation practice and my back issues and all of that. And sometimes when I design for myself, the work is extremely successful and resonant with the public. But I feel that 
the best work is when it really addresses the client's needs specifically. So I like to work when somebody says, hey, I want this piece. I need it to do this. I need these types of finishes because of this. I need this type of size. I feel like the more constraints I have, mm. the better the piece is. And so it's not that often that you'll see me re, um, producing a whole bunch of pieces. I mean, I have things in my sketchbook that um, people will see and people have never seen, but mm -hmm. it, it's also the, the case of the finances um, because this is the industry where it's very difficult to be able to afford to just make pieces and have them sit around. And then, right. you know, to go from the inception, the idea in your head to the sketch, to sourcing the materials, to paying to have it made, to paying to have it photographed, and then having to upload it somewhere or getting into a showroom, that's thousands of dollars for each piece. Mm -hmm. So probably if I had like, you know, a pot of gold buried in my backyard, I would probably have tons of pieces um, <clears throat> that I would have made. But yeah, finances and the fact that I feel like, you know, the, the better work is work that where I have restrictions and constrictions, that's probably why. And maybe because I'm lazy, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> are you making are you making for individual clients then like is it like it's yes a no. piece okay yes um everything is bespoke every single okay. thing is made to order even when you go onto my website and you see pieces that are part of the core collection mm -hmm. they're not sitting around made right because everybody can customize everything so i make them to order mm -hmm. and so today in particular is really interesting because um during covid now the material prices for green materials They've gone through the roof. I just got off the phone with my manufacturer in New York. A client in the Bay Area is ordering a meditation table. The materials come from the Bay Area. But what? I'm going to ship them to New York, make it in New York, and ship it back to the Bay Area, which adds on $1,000. And I'm right. like, wait, I got to find a way around that. Like, it's just not, mm -hmm. it becomes really challenging, you know? And clients don't really understand, like, what, what goes into um, the, the pricing, they always right. comparing me to people who mass produce. You can't compare uh, a small um, custom designer to somebody who is sending things out of the country or making them in volume. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and I would say that's, that's probably the same thing for anybody in the arts, right? Somebody wants, loves something that you've made, wants you to make something similar for them or design something similar for them you give them the price and they don't understand why it's not something that they can just the same price as what they can go pick off of a shelf and it's, it's I think in <laughs> furniture is particularly it's particularly more difficult in terms of products because the internet has kind of equalized the market and you know industries or networks like HETV make everything seem as if it's so easy, so affordable, you know, companies like Ikea, like mm -hmm. the American public, I hate to say it, but they're not as sophisticated furniture buyers as, as their Europeans. Europeans are very different. They are very designer driven. They want to know the history behind the piece. They will definitely pay for the original, whereas more Americans will be like, well, I want that, the look of it but I'm not right. paying for, that's why there's so many copies float, uh, of mid-century pieces and stuff floating all around the United mm -hmm. States. It makes it difficult for us, you know? Right, right. And that makes total sense too, the difference between European and, and uh, the States, just in the mindset makes total sense the way you explained Complete it. Complete different mindset. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're, you have individual clients, but do you also support um, like specific showrooms? Um so the showroom industry has changed. Okay. Um, when I started, there were actual showrooms who would buy a sample from you, mm -hmm. have it in a showroom floor with materials and take orders on that. They're not really doing that now. The showrooms want you to produce the, the, the piece on your dime and give it to them where it sits and gets damaged. They may or may not take any orders off of it and you lose all this money. So mm -hmm. I haven't put my stuff in any physical showrooms. Right now I have my stuff online at this website called cherish.com. I have a few pieces and I'm about to start listing some pieces at a website that's specifically geared towards um, green, green design. Okay. Um, but um, I don't have the reach um, that I need to have. And that's mm -hmm. also 
the biggest problem. How do people find me? Without press, without little stories, mm-hmm. it's like really difficult for people to find me. I don't have the powerful SEO behind my website. So when people do a search, you know, so, and, and, you know, with the quality of, of the work that I do, I really want clients to be able to see the pieces in person, to touch them, interact with them, sit on them, mm-hmm. feel the materials. But there are limited places where um, the price point, the style, and the idea of a green piece uh, is, is attractive to, uh, you know, to the showroom. So I haven't mm-hmm. found that sweet spot yet. Still looking. I'm thinking the next option might be to get a sales rep. Mm-hmm. Because then that, that helps you to sell your stuff around the country. So that's always a struggle. How do you sell your pieces? How do people know about you? How do you market yourself? You yeah. Know? So, I mean, exactly that. I mean, that's honestly what I continue to struggle with. And I also continue to beat my head against the, the wall because I see historically how it's been done, right? Is to exactly like you said, the the designer or the maker is out the cost of creating these pieces and then trying to shop them around uh, to get somebody to to buy them. Uh, that's just not economically viable for for most people who, uh, quite frankly, have amazing designs but just cannot break into the space because we don't have the money to back it. So right. I'm constantly banging my head against the wall, going, "Okay, how do I?" not work within the current system and create either a separate system or break through this system uh, in a non-traditional manner. Right. There are other ways. There are other ways as well. Um, I can't think of the term for it right now, but there are huge manufacturers um, that will contract with a designer Mm -hmm. and you'll see something like Kareem Rashid for, um, you know, BMB Italia, you know? So, if the thing is though, most of these manufacturers, they rely on name recognition. Mm-hmm. They don't, they're no longer willing to take the risk that they would have taken in the past. And so they won't invest in you or sign you to design a collection for them or a piece for them unless you're a tried and true um, design celebrity or mm-hmm. commodity that they know sell. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So they're looking for all these markers to see whether you are a viable um, um, addition to their roster. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, being a good designer is not, has nothing to do with whether they they choose you or not. It has everything to do with what people say you are. Who Mm -hmm. says you're a good designer? Who's talking about you? I see there's a cat back there looking to escape. (laughs) Windows shut, (laughs) I promise, windows shut, yes. I want to tell you a little bit about today's episode's sponsor, Athena Outfitters. So when I'm in the market for a new pair of work boots, I do a ton of research, make sure I'm getting something that's going to fit right and going to last. Well, Athena Outfitters is a quality workwear brand for hardworking women that has a tons of experience with footwear. They've taken the time to select the very best shoes and boots made by each of the most reliable footwear brands. And when I shop at Athena Outfitters site, it saves me time and energy because I trust that they found the best shoes for every job and activity. Plus bonus, you can shop online. So next time you need new work boots or some other type of high performance shoe, check out athenaoutfitters.com, gear with grit, and Athena is A-T-H-E-N-A, and then outfitters.com. You can also get a special discount at checkout by using the coupon code MM, that's capital M, capital M15 for 15% off any purchase just because you're a listener of the podcast. All right, let's hop back into the episode. Um, so um, what's frustrating for me is it's become a popularity contest. Mm-hmm. And I noticed a huge shift in the last five years, because if you don't have a media, uh, um, a social media presence, mm-hmm. they're not even, they're not even, you're, it's like you're invisible. And mm-hmm. I didn't even have uh, um, uh, that for my business until 
Ju- July of 2019. Wait, 2019, maybe a year, year or something, year and a, mm-hmm. maybe a little over a year, year and a half. I have an Instagram for my OI studio because I felt like, why is it, why is it that important? And mm-hmm. it's like when I hand out my business card, people they don't pay attention to the website. They're like, oh, what's your social? They just go straight to IG. You know, yeah. they they rather interact with you there than on your website which is really bizarre to me, but things are shifting so much. It's so much like trying to keep up with way to do business, trying to be, re- trying to stay relevant, trying to find how you can be true to yourself and not be swayed by what you see everywhere. Mm-hmm. It's really challenging. We're so distracted by so much, you know? Um, but yeah, in terms of like the, the, the looking at other ways to market yourself, if you can align yourself with a brand um, that can manufacture your stuff. Like, you know, I worked for design within reach for years and, you know, they are the biggest retailer and manufacturer of contemporary furniture and mid-century furniture in the U S for the price point that Mm -hmm. I, the style and the price point of work that I do. But oftentimes, um, even with a behemoth, like the DWR designers still don't make tons of money unless it's something that, it's just, it's a, it's a category that's flying off the shelves. Like mm-hmm. when I was there, we sold a lot of dining tables and a lot of beds. Mm-hmm. So if you find that one product that you can make affordably and get a huge margin on, that's the way. Right. Because if you have a big brand like that producing your um, products, they also do all the promotional work behind um, producing your products as well. So you just have to figure that out, you know? Yeah. It's not easy. <laughs> just have to figure that out. Not I'm still listen, super small task, right? <laughs> no, because I'm, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still yeah. here. Even after all these years, you know, I've had to adapt with the times. I've had to change. You know, back when I first started, there were so many showrooms. I would be like, yeah, here. I used to have showrooms, have my pieces. And, mm-hmm. you know, you go, you deliver a couple of things, you put them in there and here are all the material samples and it was easy, but now mm-hmm. it's not easy. So, I mean, but even then I have a, a feeling there, there were not many people within those spaces that looked like you. Oh, none. Yeah. None. So, um, so what, I, I mean, that adds a whole other layer, right. Of like getting your foot in the door. It's such a long, exhausting story. I'll just say that when I started designing um, furniture, I knew of one other black female furniture designer in the world was one that I was aware of. And she happened to live in the same city as me. And so we became friends. Her name is Cheryl Riley. And she had been designing for many, many years. And um, it took another probably 12, 15 years of me searching before I ran into another one. Mm-hmm. And in every space I would go into, every trade show I exhibited at, every trade show that I visited, every magazine article I read, every design show I saw on television, I mean, I mean, I was looking and there weren't any. And so it wasn't just a question of me being um, uh, Black. It was also a question of me being a female mm-hmm. and having to deal with the sexism of this industry, um, when, you, when I'm, you know, working with a new male uh, manufacturer who are mm-hmm. my very, very, very first manufacturer is Vietnamese in California. And then I worked with um, Indonesians in Bali. But after that, when I came back to the States, it's all white male. Mm-hmm. It has been 100% white male um, since I've moved back, ex- with, with the exception of here in New Orleans, I had started working with um, a year and a half ago before COVID, finally a female builder, finally, after all this time. So it's been a, a, a really um, challenging experience because you don't know when people aren't interested in repping your work, what the reason is. When you see other people with similar lines, um, you don't know if it's because you're a woman, you don't know if it's because you're black, you don't know if it's because they perceive you to be young, you don't know what it is. But, you know, there have been some um, significant barriers and there m- most of these um, large manufacturing companies that are European or American 
when they sign designers on to work with, it's always like almost always um, male and almost always white. Mm -hmm. the, the representation, I mean, it's like less than, there's a fellow furniture designer that did a, 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 a informal study uh, a few months ago that found that it was like less than 4% of um, black designers were um, contracted to design for large companies like Multanian Company and Moroso and B&B Italia and Poltrona Frau, like companies that have a global reach. Yeah. Like they just don't see um, the designs of black designers as viable. And I don't, I don't understand what, well, I understand what their issue is, but I have an issue with their issue. <laughs> I have issues with their issue. <laughs> 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 I have, I have I mean, issues with their issue as well. I think, I think every consumer too should have issues with that issue as well, because any form of art grows the more representation that gets added to the space. Then again, though, you got to uh, realize that in this country, they separate art and design. And so even though I see what we do, furniture and product designers yeah. as functional art, yeah. <laughs> the industry doesn't see it like that. They see it as a commodity. So in their perspective, they say, well, you know, um, what's the point of having diversity? Because it's, 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 a, it's just a product. Like what's, the, what's the, the frame of reference is, you know, even you're coming from a different point of view, like why do we need that? There's a million reasons why you need <laughs> <Right>. that, you <laughs> know, in every aspect of society and our life. But mm -hmm. that narrow view, I mean, in the past, when I would ever see like Dwell or Interior Design or Architectural Digest Magazine or any of a million of them write a story about a black designer, it always came from this otherness, their perspective of, oh, ethnic, um, mm. um, African-inspired. But you know something? Every design is African-inspired. The mid-century modern designers, people like um, um, George, what's his name? Um, I can't even think right now. Oh, perfect example, uh, Charles and Ray Eames. Their mm -hmm. um, walnut stools were almost exact replicas of some Ashanti stools in West Africa. And they say that, they say it, you know what I mean? And so why do people think that modernism is a European concept? It's not. You know, so yeah, I have all kinds of issues. I want to write an editorial about it because I, I I could just go down the long, long list. You should, you should write an oh, editorial. I, I will. I've got a mil I got a million things to do, but um, I'm going to add that <laughs> in 2021. But in 2021, I said I'm going to write an article about the connection between um, modern design, where it came from, and mm -hmm. the the distinct way that our work has been repressed and ghettoized and, and made yeah. other, you know, and, you know, and, and nowadays, like a few months ago in June at the height of the protests and this so-called new awareness right. by these American companies about the vast inequities and un underrepresentation of um, black designers in our space, all of a sudden there was a flurry of activity and everywhere you looked top 10 black interior designers top 12 furniture designers you should know of color blah 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 but that makes it even more more difficult because then you're narrowing people to this list we're all unique individuals we are not um just because we're all black doesn't mean that we have the same uh, we come from the same design perspective or the okay. same history or the same style or the same anything. You know what I mean? Why can't it just be, why can't we just be integrated into the greater mm -hmm. design community? And it's not this thing of this one's black, this one's white. If the work is good, the work is good. You know, right. do more, make more effort to go out um, when you have these editors, um, they should not be so lazy. Go out and find people who don't look like you. You know, go out and find work that doesn't look like every other thing. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's just a regurgitation of the same stories, the same type of people and the same type of work for the last however many years in this industry. You know, it's, well, it's just starting to crack it a little bit. Well, even the, the list is still creating a culture of scarcity. 
as well. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. It's saying Absolutely. this top 10, that means there's only 10 seats at the table. And so right. pit you against another, you know, black female designer versus no, this, this is big enough for all of us. This is, yeah, I'm, a, I'm against all those lists yeah. I'm against it. I mean, it's brought me some attention, a couple of press stories, you know, some people have heard about my work who wouldn't have heard about it, but I don't like the way that the, these, um, editors are going about it. You know, I, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't do anything to, um, present our work as being part of the greater culture. It kind of separates you out into this category, you know? Hi, makers. Today's episode is brought to you by toolmomstore.com. Toolmom and company is for all ages, genders. They have what you need for your one-stop tool-related merchandise of gifts and clothing. Uh, the products are fun, fashionable, one of a kind. In fact, I have two of the mugs. Uh, one has a circular saw with flames coming off of it and says, go girl. Another one has the definition of a tool chick. Both of them are super awesome and I have coffee out of them almost every morning. So check out toolmomstore.com or find them on Instagram at toolmombonnie. You can receive an extra 20% off at checkout by using the code MAKERMOM. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I've, I've had several guests on the podcast, several women of color, uh, especially, I won't even say especially. I have done my best to always go out and find uh, women of col color, different women of different backgrounds to have on the podcast because I feel we only learn from each other by learning other stories. But I have talked at, since June, since the height of the protest, I've asked some questions about like, what has your, what has been the impact to your business or social media presence since the height of the protest? And a lot of uh, uh, black women especially will say, well, you know, we've, we all of a sudden boom overnight, all of this attention to our accounts. And to me, that saddens me greatly because your work hasn't changed. Your work was just as great before Black Lives Matter protests happened this summer as it is now. And so why weren't we giving you attention then? And how do we change uh, the way we look at things and how do, to your point, why aren't those editors going out and finding people who do not look like themselves to highlight. Well, that's a long, complicated and convoluted um, conversation, but I'll say this, um, because we know that um, in the press, a lot of the hype is manufactured, there, but there's this idea, okay, in, in the country, in Western world, not just the United States, mm -hmm. but in, in Europe and Australia, whatever, that white culture because it is a thing. The concept of whiteness has become, it's been racialized, it's been commodified, it's been made a thing, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's the dominant culture in, in, in the Western civilization. And there's a pervasive narrative that within that dominant culture, that that is the one that everybody, um, it becomes the default. And so if you don't have equity, meaning if you don't have editors at these magazines that are diverse, if you have no editors that are Asian, that are Native American, that are Latino, that are African, African-American, Afro-Caribbean like me, you know, you don't have people who are diverse culturally, racially, gender, in terms of being able-bodied, all of that, you're going to get that perspective from that very limited so-called dominant culture view because right. they're going to be looking for people who look like them. There's no reward or no, no incentive to um, find um, different voices because they feel like this is who their market is. This is who their readers are. They don't even know who their readers are most of the time. You know, all these TV shows, all these magazines, all these blogs, they're assuming that their reader are white Americans and their readers are, uh, and their viewers 
are as diverse as this country is. They're also making this assumption that people of color, black people, Asian people, whoever, um, can't afford or aren't interested in modern um, design. That is a fallacy. And they're reinforcing that by not featuring our stories and our homes in their magazines, their blogs, and, and their TV shows. So people are thinking that, I'm gonna talk specifically about black people because I'm yeah, black and yeah. that's who I know about. Yeah. Um, I think that the industry um, uh, makes an assumption that we either don't have good taste, we can't afford it, we're not interested in, in modern furniture, we don't live in these types of houses, you know, and every time I've seen a story about a beautiful home in the past that, that happened to have black inhabitants, it's been a celebrity, mm. only celebrities. Like they don't look for us, you know? Mm -hmm. And trust me, I know many, 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 many interior designers who have done products, I mean, um, interiors for black clients that have beautiful homes and their projects don't get published. I've seen this for a really long time. So that's my answer to the story, uh, the question. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not going to. <laughs> um, I'm just exhausted. Listen, I, I'm just I, exhausted. I, can you tell? I can tell. And I'll say like I have said to others, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for... I mean, what can no, you apologize I for? Well, I, mean, I continue apologize. to educate myself, but... You can, I can... apologize for yourself, not yes. for the industry. You can't well... take responsibility <laughs> for every white person that's holding the key to the ivory towers and doesn't want to open up the door. All you can do is in, in with your platform, make sure that you are um, always seeking out diverse voices for the right reason. Mm -hmm. Not because it makes you, you're not because you're virtue signaling, not because it makes people think that you're more open or more woke or whatever, but because you want to know about everybody who's out there. The fact that you do a podcast for women and specifically for moms, you know, I'm not a mom except right. a dog mom. <laughs> but um, again, too, um, there's this devaluation of motherhood. And, you know, if you're doing that, you're becoming a mother. If you're a mother and you're not working in an, another career, all of a sudden you're not seen what your contribution society is, isn't, isn't, isn't seen as valuable. And even within a design space, it's like designers don't even design for the way moms live with kids, you know? That because, is true. <laughs> but, they, but, but, you know, there's a reason because kids destroy a lot of stuff. It's like hard to- That is also like true. Know, yeah, it's hard to know. <laughs> it's kind of hard to know to make a piece of furniture that is like childproof because they will work at it until they destroy it. <laughs> That is that is ten thousand percent true. <laughs> and yeah. if it's not the children on two legs, then it's the fur children who will also destroy yes. the furniture yes. as well. Yes. 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 This is this is true. <laughs> this is true. Um, well, you know, I I am going to stay true to my word, and I have watched the clock, and I want to make sure you have a chance. You can ask watch. me if you have if you have another question. I'll take I'll take another question. You'll take another question. Yeah, we're flowing. Well, we're flowing. <laughs> um, I guess I, I do I do reach out and and want to hear from other voices that from people who do not look like me, and I want those voices to be heard. Be just because I think it's important for everybody's voice to be heard. So that being said, like, if for some reason the design community hopped on and listened to this podcast episode, like, what would, what would you want to just say to the large, like, to the design community as you so many personally? Yeah, there's so many different parts of the design community, though. I mean, yeah. are you talking about like editorial content? Are you talking about manufacturers? Are you talking about interior designers who specify our work? I mean, there's, you know, I mean, yeah. I would say to them, get out of your comfort zone and try to look for other types of work. Stop thinking in such a limiting way. Mm -hmm. Stop assuming that you know what people are going to like. Stop assuming that you know who your readership, who your viewership, who your clientele is. Stop assuming 
that people who don't look like you can't afford or won't, won't appreciate this work. I guess my, my, my ultimate message is make no assumptions mm. and make an effort and challenge yourself and get uncomfortable if you need to. Mm-hmm. Ask questions. Why haven't you seen um, more work from Black designers, whether it's male or females? Why? Right. It's not because we're not making it. I know several dozens of Black designers around the world who are making mm-hmm. it. So why um, do you feel like uh, there's only this limited, this narrow window of people who are acceptable to write about or to represent or to sell or to specify? I mean, choose the products, show it to your clients and let them decide. That's what I would say. Extremely wise words. And I hope that I hope that that gets heard. Um, Okay, now I will say. How can people find your work, find you? Um, where do you want to send them to? Well, um, my website is not 100% finished, but you can see a lot on there right now. It's because I'm redoing it. Mm-hmm. Um, my website is oistudio.com. No S on the end. That's O and I as in iceberg, studio.com. <laughs> and my Instagram is at OI studio underscore. I think those are the two places where you'll see the most prolific, especially Instagram mm-hmm. um, and watching my stories. You'll see a little bit of behind the scenes when I go visit manufacturers, when I have client meetings, when I'm on a trip, I, you know, I share where I'm traveling to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I go see great art in a museum, I share that because I realize now that the public is, is not just interested in your work. They're interested in us. Yep. So my Instagram is probably the best place to see what I'm up to, but check my website because um, I'm going to be adding a lot to it in the next, um, um, I want to say the next 30 days. Awesome. Amazing. And, Thank and you. I just want to say one more thing. You can't buy directly from my website. So if you go to my website, there's a link where you can click on, you email me and because everything is quoted specifically for each client. So right. you email me directly from that link. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really enjoyed it. I did too. And the time flew by. Um, Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to hearing this when it goes live. Awesome. All right. Again, that was Boa of OI Studio. I'll include the links on how you can follow along with her in the description for the podcast. So just check the description on your podcast app. App, uh, app for this episode and you'll see how you can follow along with her. Uh, you can also find show notes for the episodes over at freemanfurnishings.com forward slash podcast. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and are enjoying the podcast, please, please, please hit that subscribe button, like, comment, head on over to iTunes, leave a five-star review, share about the podcast on Instagram, follow along, at Maker Mom Podcast, share it in your stories, in your feed. All of that helps the algorithms know that not only you like the podcast, but others like yourself may as well. Uh, and it just truly helps out the podcast. Plus, I really enjoy seeing people share about uh, their discovery of new makers or learning about makers they've followed along with for a really long time and getting to learn something new about them. I really enjoy uh <clears throat> hearing and seeing others, uh, you know, enjoy learning these stories as much as I do. If you want to check out uh, Patreon to join the tribe over there, just go to patreon.com forward slash Maker Mom podcast. There are four different tier levels you can check out. There's a one, three, and five dollar tier level that comes with different merchandise depending on which one you pick. And then there is a $30 a month level, which makes you an official sponsor of the podcast. That one is super limited. In fact, I only have one spot left. So if that's something you think you may be interested in, uh, go check that out sooner rather than later. Um, All of the tiers get you access to additional content, uh, including uh, just even at the end of this month, we will be having the very first for this year, for 2021, live um 
podcast interview, which just means that if you're a patron over on Patreon, you'll get a link to hop on the Zoom while I do the interview, and you'll have access then to that maker and get to ask your own questions at the end of the episode. So if that sounds like something you might enjoy doing, another reason to go check out Patreon. Um, and plus you get considered automatically considered family if you join over on Patreon, just because I really do appreciate, uh, the support over there for this podcast. You can also, again, follow along with Maker Mom podcast over on Instagram, hit the link in the bio there, and you can check out the swag. There is Wonder Women series swag, as well as the OG Maker Mom swag. Now, when I am not interviewing, editing, producing podcast episodes, you can find me designing and making furniture and home decor for bold homes at freemanfurnishings.com and at Freeman Furnishings across all the social media, such as Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn. I feel like I'm missing one and I can't think of it off the top of my head right now, but... <clears throat> I am active on a daily basis on Instagram and TikTok. That's where I kind of stay up to date as far as what project I'm currently working on and what shenanigans I have going on at the time. So check me out at Freeman Furnishings. All right, it is Wednesday. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all on Friday.